This sermon was preached by Peter Nakotra, head pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Woodhaven, Queens. Grace Baptist was planted in 2001 and is seeking to reach South Queens and North Brooklyn with the gospel. You can find more sermons from this series and many others at www.gbcny.org. Please feel free to distribute the sermon to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Well, the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago concluded with a separation. Uh, and we understand the thing or two just in life about separating things because we separate a lot of things, don't we? We separate junk mail from important mail. I do that all the time. I can't wait to get the mail and then three quarters of it gets tossed out. I separate. Uh, we separate the white clothes from the colored clothes before we wash. Not that I personally do this, but my wife does. Right? We separate recycling in the garbage from the regular garbage, right? We put the cans and the, and the glass and stuff in one thing and the other stuff in the other thing. Right? If you're trying to eat healthy, you're going to be separating the egg yolk from the egg white. We separate forks and knives and spoons and really, literally thousands of other things in our day-to-day lives. But at the end of time, there will be a once-for-all-time separation. A separation with eternal consequences. A separation that can never be undone. You know, you can accidentally throw the paper and the glass in the same garbage. And really, worst case scenario, you're going to get a $50 fine. And you can accidentally wash a red shirt with a bunch of white clothes. And worst case scenario, everything turns pink. But if you end up on the side with the goats, the only scenario then is an eternal torment and damnation. Well, the separation will happen when Jesus returns in his glory, as we read, and he's going to come with his holy angels, and he's going to proceed to sit on his throne of glory, which, of course, is a throne of judgment. And the king of glory will gather all people to him and before him, uh, every person ever created, no matter when and where, they will stand before him, and he will separate them. As a shepherd, we read, separates sheep from goats. And remember, sheep and goats, they are different. They don't really get along so well. Sheep are docile. They're passive. Easily frightened. And the goats are kind of the opposite. And the great shepherd will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And the sheep, as we said, are or represent the people of God. They represent the born-again believers. They are the ones that Jesus knows and they know him. They are the ones that he has redeemed. And putting them on his right hand is a symbolic way of saying he puts them in a place of honor. And the goats are all unbelievers. They're from atheists to professing believers who aren't truly saved. And they are placed on the Lord's left hand, which symbolizes, of course, a place of dishonor. And I'll make the case that though the goats are all unbelievers, in the text before us today, the emphasis is on those who claim to know him, but don't know him. They claim to be believers, but really aren't. And we've seen this from the end of Matthew 24, already all the way through Matthew 25. In the end of Matthew 24, verse 48, we see the evil servant who knew his master's will, but he didn't do it. Instead, he beat the master's servants. And then we see the five foolish virgins in the beginning of 25 who are, who are waiting for the bridegroom, who are with the five wise virgins, who are, who are called the bridegroom. Right? They call Jesus Lord, Lord. And they're called, of course, uh, 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 his virgins or, or the bridesmaids. But they have no oil in their lamps. Uh, they had a superficial testimony. They had no real conversion experience to Christ. And in the end, they were shut out of the wedding feast. 
Uh, then you also had the, the wicked and lazy servant following that, who was given money from his master to invest his vest, master's money and make a profit. Uh, but unlike the other servants, he went and he hid his master's money because he was fearful of his master, right? showing himself never to truly be converted to Christ. And the outcome was his talent was taken away and he was cast, as we read, into outer darkness. So the message Jesus is giving us here is watch out, beware, make sure you are truly his disciple uh, and truly ready for his coming. Because many, many make a profession of faith and many think all is well and many are convinced that they are his sheep, yet they live a, a faithless life, they live a loveless life, uh, and, 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 the, and in the end, they will stand at the final judgment and they will end up on Jesus' left side. And that is right. So the focus of the ten virgins was to make sure that you're saved. To make sure that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And one of the evidence that you're saved is that you live a life dedicated and devoted to serving Jesus. Which was the focus, which was the focus of the parable of the talents. And now he gives another evidence in the verses before us of how one knows they are truly saved. And that is that you genuinely love Jesus the brethren. That's the focus of the sheep and goats, that you genuinely love the brethren. And I'd like to look at these verses using a a simple two-point outline. And if you have a bulletin, it'll be on the back of that bulletin. And the first point is the declaration and explanation to the sheep. Secondly, the declaration and explanation to the goats. Very simple. Let me read again verses 34 to 40, the declaration and explanation to the sheep. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger, and take you in, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison? And come to you. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it for one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it for me. Well, in verse 31, Jesus said, The Son of Man is coming in his glory to sit on his throne of glory. Now in verse 34, he says, The king will speak to the sheep who are on his right hand. And what the king says to the sheep is this. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he tells the sheep, who represent all believers, to come and receive what God has willed to give them from the very beginning. And what he has willed to give them is the kingdom, his eternal kingdom. Jesus told his disciples in in Luke 12, He said, Don't fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't fear. We read in James chapter 2, verse 5, God has not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. So Jesus says, come, come and get what my Father wants to bless you with. And the reason he, he can say to them, come, uh, is because when he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, they came. They came when he said it in this life. They saw their sin. They saw the penalty of their sin. They saw the inability to make themselves right between them and God. They gave up trying to earn their way into heaven by trying to be a good person. They gave it up. 
Right? And they turned from their sins and they turned to Jesus and they found rest in Jesus. And they found forgiveness and life in Jesus. In his finished work and in his sinless life and in his righteous life. That's what they found. So they came and they found new life in Jesus. And all who truly come to him in this life will hear those words, Come, you blessed of my Father. You hear it. But this time it won't be for the forgiveness of sins. No, this time it'll be to inherit. To inherit immortality and to inherit incorruption. This time it'll be to be totally separated from sin and to be in the very presence of the Lord forever. So then come, you blessed of my Father. Come those whom God is blessed or literally are in a blessed state. And notice, notice he doesn't say, come you blessed for your good works. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, come you blessed because of your great knowledge. He doesn't say that either. Right? He doesn't say any of those things. Right? He doesn't say, come you blessed for your tireless labor. No, he says, come you blessed of my Father. And the ultimate source of blessing is the Father. The Father in heaven. And listen, the good works that we do, and the deeds that we perform, which Jesus has got a name in verses 35 and 36, by the way, they are not the reason why we are blessed. No, they are the evidence that we are blessed by God. They are the fruit of being blessed by God. We're blessed by God because of God. We're blessed because of His electing love and His mercy. That He has chosen us to be saved. That He chose us from among the sons of disobedience, from among the children of wrath, to adopt us into his family and to make us his sons, i.e. sons and daughters. Now the saints of all ages long to hear those glorious words, Come, you blessed of my Father. Come, come because I own you. Come because I bought you with my blood. Come because I have prepared a place for you. Come because you are mine and I am yours. And I have loved you with an everlasting love. So come, come to inherit the kingdom. Which is another way of saying, come enter into my rest. Enter into my eternal rest after a life of warfare and conflict. Or another way of saying, enter the eternal company of the saints after battling with the wicked while you were here in this world. Or enter and receive a glorious body after struggling with the weaknesses and infirmity of this one. Or another way of saying, enter and receive eternal sight where your faith is made sight and where you will see the glorious Christ, the one you have prayed to all your saved days face to face. That's that's a come right there. Come, right? Come to him. So come and inherit the kingdom because you are blessed by God. And the proof and the evidence is that you are blessed by God. Here it is. That you love the brethren. Don't you love the brethren? Look at verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now, this seems odd and perplexes the sheep. Because no one saw Jesus physically. He wasn't walking on this earth after his ascension. He certainly wouldn't need food. Right? Or water, or clothing. I mean, he owns everything. 
Right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Those are all his. Right? And by the way, he has all power and all authority. And so homelessness and sickness and being imprisoned, uh, that would all be out of the question for him, would it not? So the sheep are absolutely bewildered. They don't ever remember doing any of these things for him. And so they say in verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? Now I want you to notice something in this little phrase here. Then the righteous will answer him. I want you to notice what Jesus, when he's talking to them, calls the sheep here. He calls them the righteous. The righteous. And the righteous means that they have a right standing before God. And this is the blessing of God, that they have a right standing before God. And they have a right standing before God because the Father has given Jesus their sin, which he paid for in full at the cross. And he has given them Jesus' righteous, sinless record to put on their account. So they stand before God as righteous because they are in the righteous one. Uh, and, 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 and because they are righteous before God, therefore, they lived rightly. And they loved the Lord. And they loved his word. And they were doer of his word. But in the end, they're clueless of how they could have done all these things for Jesus that they don't remember ever doing. So they ask him, when did we do these things for you? Remind us. Because not a one of us can even remember a one of these things. And, and Jesus gives them the answer. Surely I say to you, and as much as you did it, for the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Now this is amazing. This is amazing. Because we see Jesus thoroughly identifying himself with his people. Right? And, and he, he's talking about what the people of God did for his people, who are the people of God. Right? He's not talking about the world at large, because the world at large are not his brethren. Yes, we are to do good to all people, but especially the household of faith, we're told in, a few, in Gen, uh, Galatians 6. Right? But it is the household of faith, they are Jesus' brethren. And Jesus is focusing in on how the saints treat the saints. And how the saints ought to treat the saints. Because the saints are his brethren. Every born-again believer is his brother. Right? They're his sister. Right? Everyone who does the will of the Father is related to him. Remember in Matthew 12, Jesus is teaching a crowd in a house. And it's very crowded. And someone says, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And then Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then we read that he points to his disciples. He like looks at his disciples when he says, in verse uh, 49 and 50, he says, Here's my mother and my brothers. And then he, he explains it. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So the people related to Jesus are the ones who want what he wants and does what he does and desires to live like he lives. And he's related to them, we read in Ephesians 5, because all believers are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Three times Jesus told Peter in John 20, feed my sheep. And the emphasis is on my, they're my sheep. Feed them, Peter. When Saul of Tarsus was breathing fire and hatred against Christians, while he's on his way to Damascus to persecute and imprison Christians, he has a divine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on that road. And Jesus says to him in Acts 9, he says, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. Was Saul, who would be the Apostle Paul, was he imprisoning Jesus? Was he beating Jesus? Was he chasing Jesus all over the Roman Empire to imprison him? Well, not physically. But yes, in the sense that he was doing those things to Jesus' people. You see, you do it to Jesus' people, you do it to Jesus. That's the point here. You do it to Jesus' people, you do it to Jesus. Listen, if, if you do something nice to my daughter, you did it to me. If you do something hurtful to my daughter, you did it to me. You look at me. You get that, right? You get that. When she hurts, I hurt. When she rejoices, I rejoice. And this is how we are, is it not? You hurt someone we love a whole lot, you hurt us. Well, when you help Jesus' people, you help him. Because he loves his people infinitely more than you or I could ever love our children. And we would do anything for our kids. But he loves his people infinitely more than any parent in this place loves their kids. Infinitely more. And although collectively, as the children of God, we are one huge dysfunctional family, I would say, in many ways, but we're his family nonetheless. We're his family. And he loves us. And he's not ashamed to call us his family. He's not ashamed, as we read in Hebrews 2, to call us his brethren. He's not ashamed. And guess, guess what? There are no black sheep in his family. There may be one in your family. I think every family has one of them running around. Right? But not in his family. Therefore, what you do to his people, you do to him. He said to the disciples when he's sending them out in Matthew 10, 40, He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Again, in Matthew 18, 5, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. Receives me. This is why when he's at the Last Supper with his disciples in John 13, he commands his disciples in verses 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What's the result of that? Well, look on. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, the world is going to know the world is going to know we're his disciples, not by our great theology, not by all the work we do, by how we love each other. By how we love each other. Because you know why? People don't love each other. It is not natural to love people at large, let alone your enemies. And this love is seen in the small and in the, uh, like the mundane things. And, and it is seen by the meeting of the needs of his people. Right? And, and, and this love is seen by its application to all the saints. As Jesus says, even to the least of these, my brethren. All of them. All of them. You understand, we're not to pick and choose who we're to love in the kingdom. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, no. Yes, yes, no. We're not to pick and choose who we're going to love in the kingdom. We're to love them all because he loves them all. We're to love them all. Because every saint is worthy of our love. And every saint is worthy of our labor and our care and our concern. 
There is no insignificant believer to Jesus. Do you understand that? No insignificant believer. You and I may think there are some insignificant believers, but I don't know anything. We may think that. We may think he doesn't do anything. But there are no insignificant believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do something for any of his brethren, even the least of them, you did it for Jesus. You did it for Jesus. There's your motivation, by the way. You did it for Jesus. When you go into your pocket or go out of your way for them, you're doing it for Jesus. And it pleases him when you bless one of his who are in need. It pleases him. In fact, it is contrary to the new nature of the child of God not to do that. Not to bless the people of God. Look at 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, critical phrase right there, and shuts up his heart from him, rhetorical question, how does the love of God abide in him? How does God's love abide in you when you won't even help a brother or sister in need? I love Jesus. I'm not going to help you. Go to the elders. They'll help you. All right? How does the love of God abide in you, he says. My little children, let us not love in word or in, in tongue. I'll pray for you, man. I'll pray for you. Let us love in deed and in truth. Do it. Put feet to the love. James said, James said how, how love in action is supposed to be love in action. In chapter 2, if a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled. But you don't give them the things which are needed. Again, the critical word is needed for the body. What is it profit? What good is that? Well, it's no good, actually, is what the answer is. We're told in Romans 12, 13, to distribute to the needs of the saints and to be given to hospitality. Hebrews 13, 16, we're told not to forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. And we have a wonderful example, tons of examples, but a wonderful one uh, example in Acts 9 with a woman named Tabitha or Dorcas. She goes by a couple of different names. And we see that she makes tunics and garments for the widows. And widows in that society happen to be some of the most needy uh, of people. And the scriptures uh, give testimony of this, this woman Tabitha that she was full of good works and charitable deeds. She did what she could. Right? She did what she could. Then there's Anisiphorus, who Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.16, that he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. Listen, I'm in prison. Most of the saints don't want to come and visit me because you associate with me. You may be here with me. But he wasn't ashamed of my chain. He refreshed me. Brought me stuff. This prison food is terrible, if you know what I mean. Brings me stuff to eat, stuff I need. All right? did what he could. Love the brethren. So the saints bless the saints. Why? Because the saints love the saints. And when you bless the saints, you bless the Lord. You bless the Lord. I want you to see something about the righteous. And that is that they did all these things for their fellow saints, but they didn't know they did them. They didn't know they did them. And do you know why they didn't know? You know why they didn't know? Because it was their norm to do those things. It was their pattern to do those things. It was their everyday way of life to do those things. They did it because it was natural for them to do it. Right? They didn't do something and say to themselves, 
Oh, great. Opportunity to do something to bless Jesus. They didn't think that way. Right? They didn't keep a scorecard on what they did. All right, did this. Help that one there. Check. Give a ride. Check. A couple of shekels to that guy. Check. They didn't do that. Right? They didn't do that. They didn't do something for somebody and say, wow, I did a really great thing. No, they just did what their new heart was moving them to do. Hey, your brother needs a meal? I'm there. Sister can't pay your bill? How much do you need? Hey, brother needs a ride to church or somewhere else? When can I pick you up? Tell me when to get you. Sister is feeling down? Let me give you a call. Can I come by and encourage you? You see, it's just their way of life. They don't think about it. They just do it. It's kind of like brushing your teeth every day. You don't think about, brush my teeth, check, comb the hair, check, right? You know, they don't do that. They, you just do it. You do it because it is your normal pattern of life. And that's what they do. The saints just do it because it's their normal pattern of life. They don't keep score. I mean, let's look at it in the, in the version of a mother. Or thinking of a mother. Does a mother change diapers and keep count? We're going to celebrate little Annabella's life today. All right? I am sure that Desiree doesn't say, all right, two months, that's 60, that's 60 days, three diapers a day, 180 diapers already. Does she do that? I don't think so. I think she just changes the diaper because she loves little Annabella. She's motivated and driven by love to care for the baby. What mother sits there and says, 286 dinners so far this year I've made for these kids. Who does that? You just make dinner every night because you love them. You don't count it. You don't think, I've got to do this all we go again, dinner yet again. No. I love these kids. They need to eat. It is my norm to bless them. Right? We don't count those things. Just make the meals. Change the diapers. So the saints that you need in the body, they just need it because that's the norm. Now listen, brothers and sisters, if it is not your norm, if it is not your norm, if this is not your way of life, then let me suggest a few things that might help you because it should be your way of life and it should be my way of life. First and foremost, here's the big one for everything, really. Remember that Christ died for you, that he loved you, that he came into this world to save you from your sins. Right? He came for you when you were his enemy and you were an enemy of his cross. He left fellowship with the Father so that you a son or a daughter of disobedience could have fellowship with him and with the Father. And he lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could give you his record. So that you would be qualified for heaven. And he died a sinner's death so that you could live an eternal life. And he rose again to steal your justification. And he sent his spirit to indwell you. And to enable you to live a redeemed life. And to give you assurance of that. And he sits right now at the throne of grace interceding for you. And he's coming again to gather you to himself. Guess what? Christ highly values you. He infinitely loves you. And may his infinite love for you overflow from you to his people. May your eyes be so fixed on him that blessing his people becomes a delight to you and becomes the norm to you.
You've got to ask yourself, is it my norm? And be dead honest. Is it my norm? Now, secondly, secondly, if this is not your norm, then pray that God would convict you of either pride or selfishness or stinginess, if that is the problem, right? You've got to ask yourself, why isn't this my norm? Why isn't it my norm? Why am I all about me and not about the others? Why do I not bless the body? Because you've got a problem going on. Why, Lord? Show me why. Thirdly, get to know the saints. Here's a problem to some of us. Get to know the saints. It's hard to love and serve people, the people of God, if you don't really know them. Right? I mean, talk to them after the service. Invite them to your home. Go out to a meal with them. Call them on the phone. Connect with the people of God. Invest in the people of God. Share your life with the people of God. Take genuine interest in the people of God. Listen, if your only exposure to the people of God is the hour and a half and the coffee and donuts you'll have downstairs today, a hello and a goodbye on a Sunday morning, I am guessing you are not ministering to Christ's brethren. I'm going to guess that, let alone to the least of them. And that means, ultimately, you are not ministering to Christ. See, that's what it's going to mean. That's the boil down. And one of the evidences that you are his sheep is that you love his sheep. That's what he's saying. And listen, brothers and sisters, one of the ways the Lord blesses us, and he blesses us in many ways, is he blesses us with us. Blesses us with us. We're family. We are more family, those of us who believe than you are with your unsafe family. You know that. You have a thousand times more in common with the people of God than you do with, with those who are blood relatives but don't know the Lord. You're going to spend eternity with the saints, not with those who don't know the Lord. So let us love and serve those whom the Lord has loved and served. Those who are blessed by His Father. So we see the declaration and explanation to the sheep, and now let's look at that. Declaration and explanation to the goats in verses 41 to 46. Then he also will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you, you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Well, the sheep are on the Lord's right hand, and the goats are on his left hand. Uh, and once they're separated from the sheep, that's the goats, they hear these dreadful words. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and the angels. 180. 180 from come. Come, you blessed of my father. Right? They don't hear come. They hear depart. They are not blessed, but they are cursed or they're damned. They do not inherit the kingdom, but they are sent into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, who, of course, are the demons. You see, the kingdom was prepared for God's people. 
prepared for his elect from the foundation of the world. And the lake of fire was prepared also. But for Satan and his demons. And sadly, all the goats, all unbelievers will go there with them. And this is the final judgment. And this is how it all ends. The sheep go to glory. The goats go to an eternal damnation. That's the end of it all. And no one is getting around that. The sheep go to be with Christ and with the saints and with the holy angels. And the goats, they go to be with the devil and the demons and all unbelievers. And you know what I would call this? Some seriously bad company. They go to be with them. And some so foolishly say to me, Oh, I can't wait to get to hell. Woo, we're going to be partying down there with Satan and the bad boys. Ain't no party going on, I'm telling you right now. It is utter, utter misery. And, and I can't even really understand, I don't think any of us can, the depth of the misery of the imagery that Jesus uses. Just as we can't understand the, the, the imagery of the glory to come, we get little tidbits and tastes of it, but it's much more glorious than we can ever imagine. So too, it's much more horrendous the, the, the depths of hell than we could ever imagine. Only a fool, only a fool says those kinds of things. And only a fool doesn't fear. Well, it is what it is. What can I say? The Lord wants me. He knows where to get me. No. If you fear that so much, you're going to run that way. Massive difference. So then one is blessed and the other is cursed. One comes to Christ in this life and the other would not come to him. One believed the gospel and the other would not and did not. One surrendered to King Jesus. When I say surrender, I mean surrender. That's the difference here. One surrendered to King Jesus, the other refused to. I will not give up my sin. One repented of their sins and entered the kingdom and the other did not and would not. And friends, this is why we preach the gospel to all men. This is why we go out on the streets and we talk to people here and talk to people there and we, why we, we, we send notes on Facebook to people about the gospel. Because there will be a line drawn in the sand, so to speak, on the last day. And the unregenerate or the unredeemed or those not born again will be standing on the left side of King Jesus. And it will not be a, a good day. And that's the side we would not wish on our worst enemies. Wouldn't wish that on anybody. I don't care how rotten somebody is in this life, and there are some pretty rotten people. We would not wish this on anybody. And listen, they're standing in this life, it's not going to matter. On that day, it will not matter. Whether they were the President of the United States, or whether they were the person that drops the mail in your mailbox, it will not matter. They will be standing on the left side of King Jesus. And there'll be no presidents, and there'll be no popes, and there'll be no any people in authority, and there'll be no good people standing on his left. You get that. There will be unregenerate sinners who will be standing before the King of Kings on a day of judgment. And that ought to break our hearts. But there are people we know and love that are standing there right now or slated to stand there if all things keep going the way they're going. And so we preach the gospel. And this is why as the church we preach the gospel. And this is why our focus is not social issues, it's the gospel. That's what men need. Right? They don't need housing or food. Right? They need the gospel. Help them if they're hungry. Give them the gospel because they need that more. They'll be standing on the left side. And they'll be there because they're cursed. And that's because they're under the curse of the law. 
And that is because Christ did not redeem them from the curse of the law. He did not become a curse for them. So they're still under the curse of the law. It doesn't go away. Which every man is under. Everybody born into this world, from the time they're conceived, they're under the curse of the law. Every man is under it. And that's because we break the law. It's the very nature to break the law. And the penalty for breaking the law is eternal death. And the evidence that they are still under the law is that they do not love the people of God, as we see in verses 42 and 43. Right? When Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, they said, No, I will not come. I will not come to you, Jesus. I will not leave my sin. I will not leave the sin that I love. Oh, I like you a lot. And I like some of your teaching a lot. And, and I identify as a Christian, actually. But I will not leave my sin. I will not surrender to you. I will not bow to you and follow you. I will not forsake my sin. Because at the end of the day, I love my sin. I love my religion. I love my own way. So they wouldn't come. They professed to be Christians, but they weren't. And they're going to hear the part from me. And as I said, the people Jesus is zeroing in on here are not all unbelievers, but those who claim to believe in him. But they didn't. Those who profess to be Christians, but they weren't. Those who claim to be a sheep, but they didn't act like a sheep because they really, they weren't a sheep. They certainly didn't love the sheep. Which is evidence that they didn't really love Jesus. Nor were they his to begin with. And so in verses 42 and 43, Jesus says the same thing that he said to the sheep. But instead of saying, you did all these things for me, he says, you didn't do any of these things for me. You didn't do any of these things for me. And the goats respond the same way the sheep did. They said, what? when do we see you in these conditions? Right? When do we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? We don't remember doing any of these things or seeing them. And notice, they too call him Lord. They say, Lord, when did we? We're yours. Of course we're yours. Who, well, who else would we be? Right? When did we not do these things? So they call him Lord. They acknowledge that he is the Lord. And they believe in their own minds that he is their Lord. And in verse 45, he answers them the same way he answered the sheep. You didn't do it for the least of one of mine. You didn't do it for me. And, 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 they, and they didn't do it for him because they were not one of his. So in reality, they're false believers, they're imposters, they're hypocrites, right? Uh, and they're in the church, and they talk a good game. And Jesus said this in Matthew 13, and all through the Gospel of Matthew. He keeps saying it. There's people who think they're in and they're out. The door's going to be closed and they're going to be out. Because they're not real. The reality is, they're false believers, right? They, they don't put the people of God above themselves. They don't sacrifice what was served the saints. Now, they may know a lot of doctrine. They may teach Sunday school or Bible studies or preach the gospel, even rightly so, maybe. Maybe they've been baptized and they're certainly a member of a church. And they go and they do and they learn and, and they know verses by heart and sing the songs and they wave their hands and all that kind of stuff. But they don't love the people of God. They don't minister to the needs of the saints. They are too busy with their own lives. They are too preoccupied with themselves and their own world. They're too worried about satisfying their own desires, whatever they may be, and meeting their own needs. They don't weep with those who weep. They don't go into their wallet for a saint. They don't go out of their way or inconvenience themselves for a brother or a sister. And when someone's ox is in the ditch, so to speak, that's your problem. 
I got my own ox. I'm not worried about yours. And the truth is, they come to church. But there is no heart for the people of God, especially the least of His people. No spiritual conversations. No testimonies of God's goodness and grace in their lives. No sharing struggles of sin and temptation. No wonder and awe at the works of God and the ways of God. No burden for the lost. No burden for the lost. And thus, no love for the saints. And if they do an act of kindness, they usually want others to know about it. Yeah, I had to pick up so-and-so, and and when I got to his house, I had to wait ten minutes for him. And I did pick him up, and I did take him, and -and so-and-so needed 30 bucks for a meal, so I came out of my pocket, and I went and bought him the meal. And their right hand is telling the left hand, and every other hand, what's going on? But serving the saints is not the norm for them. They keep a record of what they do if they do anything. And the saddest part of all, they think, they know, and they love Jesus. They think that they're his sheep. They are convinced. They have convinced themselves that they're in his kingdom. How many people say to me, I know I'm saved, I know I'm saved, I know I'm saved, and they don't live for Jesus. Many of you have said that to me. And some of you, you do not show it. You're living in a way that is absolutely contrary to his word. You see, if you say you love him and don't, don't live to him, you don't really love him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Because I'm not really your Lord, that's why. Because if you, if, if you were my Lord, I would be broken in what I'm doing. And I wouldn't want to do it anymore. And I'd be begging to help. So they think they're his sheep, but they're not his sheep. And again, the evidence is they don't love his people because they don't love him. And hey, if you you don't love the people who you can see, how can you think you love him who you can't see? I mean, it's just basic logic. If I don't love you, his people here, how can I claim I love him who I don't I can't see him. I just have to believe in my heart. That's to be a testimony from the word of God and the spirit of God working in me, out, out of me to you. That's how I love you. Well, to put the final nail in the coffin, figuratively speaking, Jesus concludes this great separation in verse 46 by saying, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So in the end, you're either going to go into everlasting punishment or everlasting life. That's it. It's an eternality, one way or the other. Uh, One way or the other. Uh, And what will determine where you go, here it is is your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's it. That will determine, is your relationship or lack of to Jesus Christ. So the stakes are again high, extremely high. They're eternal. Nothing higher than that, right? They're eternal stakes. And the reason they're eternal is because our sin is against an eternal God. And only the eternal Son of God can save us from an eternal punishment and thus give us an eternal life. And that's only because he suffered our eternal punishment for us at the cross. And you want to see love in action? You want to see love in action? There it is. Look at the cross. There it is. Christ died for sin, as we read. Christ bore the wrath of God for his people. When we were still without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his death and his life give us a perfect standing. And they render us, they render us spotless and blameless before God. Spotless and blameless. You see, he died for us so that we could stand at his right hand.
That ought to get our juices flowing. That ought to motivate us into living for Him. Listen, there are going to be three kinds of people on that great and terrible day of judgment. There are going to be three kinds of people. You said there were two. I'm telling you that it's three. There are going to be three kinds of people that are going to be standing on that last day before Jesus. They'll be the sheep who have been washed in His blood, who have been made new creations in Him, who have showed themselves to be His people by loving His people. Then there'll be the goats who thought they were sheep, but they deceived themselves. And they evidenced this by not loving His people. And then the third category of people, there'll be goats who never, who never thought they were His sheep. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus and His people. Uh, and everyone here today, we're all, you're one of those three and I'm one of those three. We're all one of those three. Right? And if you're truly a sheep, then I say continue to praise and worship the Good Shepherd. The one who loved you so much that He allowed Himself to be crushed for your sins. And then clothe you with His very robe of righteousness. He clothed you with it. And as you grasp, as you grasp the reality of the cross more and more, and the immensity of His love for you, right? and, 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 and what He has done for you, then, then may you grow in Him, and grow in His love, and may you grow in a love for His people as well. Right? May it become more and more natural to you and to me to love His people and to serve His people. Now, if you're a goat, whether you're a self-deceived goat thinking you're a sheep, but you're not a sheep, or I could care less about Jesus Christ's goat, if you're a goat, know that you're standing on the wrong side of eternity. And you are looking at a forever torment and forever misery in a place called the Lake of Fire. And this is torment that is unimaginable. Because it's a place prepared for Satan and his demons. Uh, yet, this is where you will find yourself. And this is the company you will be with. Why? Because the curse of the law of God still hangs over you. doesn't go away. doesn't go away by itself. You have sinned against an eternal God, a holy God, a righteous God. And your sin, as we read today in Psalm 5, is an abomination to God. He's angry with the wicked every day. He doesn't just not like it. He hates it. And because he is just, he must enforce justice against lawlessness. And you, if you are unsaved, rightly deserve it. That's not fair. Oh, yes, it is fair. Oh, it's fair from his point of view, and that's the point of view that counts. But that day is not here yet. And by God's grace, you are still alive. And the gospel is still being preached, and God is still saving sinners. And Jesus still says today, still says today, Come to me, come to me, all you who labor, trying to work out your salvation by being a good person. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's not talking sleep here. He's not talking relaxation. He's talking about rest in Him, a certainty and an assurance that you have salvation in Christ. Come, I paid it all. You don't got to do anything. You don't got to do anything. You can't do anything anyway, but you may think you could do something, but you can't do anything. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Come to me for eternal life. Come to me for a right standing. Come to me for adoption into the family of God. Come to me for those things. Come to me for eternal life. And you must come, but you must come on His terms, which is lowly and contrite. And that means that you must think nothing of yourself. Eradicate from your mind that there is even one good thing about you. Problem with mankind, and I know because I'm one of them. We think we're good. I'm not that bad. I'm doing better. I'm picking up my... I'm, I'm cleaning up my act. I'm telling you now... 
It will forever be filthy before God. I don't care how much better you think you're doing, you're still not good enough. You can never be good enough. Only Christ is good enough. You are not a good person. You are a wretch and a worm before God. I don't care if you're the nicest person in this room, you're no good before God. That's a hard saying, but it's true. And if you love somebody, you tell them the truth. You're no good before God. And you don't deserve His mercy. And you don't deserve His grace. In fact, the only thing you deserve is His wrath because you've sinned against Him. But come. He says, come. The altar's still open. You understand? Come. But come empty. Don't drag your sin in. I'm going to come, but I still want to keep my illicit relationship or my adultery or my fornication. I still want to keep my, my lying and cheating and my illegal things I'm doing. I still want to drag my sin with me. You're not going to take it that way. You can't come that way. You come empty. You come pleading for mercy and grace. You come confessing your sin. You come broken over your sin. You come with a burden that your sin has separated you from God. And it's like this massive burden on your back and it is a stench to your nostrils and you cry out, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Save me from my lawlessness. Save me from unrighteousness. And I tell you, on the authority of the Word of God, if you come this way, even today, rest assured, rest assured, on the last day, you will be standing on His right side and then you will hear, Come, you blessed of my Father. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Doctrines of Grace Church Planners. If you would like to learn more about Doctrines of Grace Church Planners or support our church planning efforts in the New York City area, please visit www.dg-cp.org.